0: If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. As we continue to look at the spiritual disciplines, I'd kind of like to carry over some of the analogies that we've used so far. Last week we looked at the spiritual discipline of meditation and looked at Psalm 1 to kind of launch us into this series. And Psalm 1 reminds us that we, if we are blessed, if we are the blessed man should be like a tree planted among the streams of water. So we get this picture of us being rooted deeply in this source of life, this water. And I ended the sermon by saying what we should be doing is recognizing that we can't stop digging to hit water when we go to the well. When we start to dig, if we just dig it and stop at six foot, we're only digging our own grave. We have to dig and press on until we hit that water. So we have that analogy of the, having the water, having our own wells, and I was encouraging you all go Go dig your own wells. Build build these practices and these habits into your life so that you can have your own well. But I'd like to take that a little bit further and say, yes, wells are good. But also, we've also kind of progressed in life to where we don't have to go out to the well to get water every time we want water anymore, right? You turn on the faucet. You don't go to fetch a pail of water anymore. You go to the sink. And I think that the spiritual disciplines can work something like that. They can kind of be like a type of Uh, We might say infrastructure to our spiritual lives, like the walls of this building, the walls of this house have plumbing and wiring in them, and it can be so easy as going to an outlet and plugging in. That's how our spiritual lives should be. We should have our spiritual lives so hardwired with these hard habits in our lives, so it should be easy to make contact with God. It shouldn't feel like going down and digging a new well every time you have to pray a prayer to God. It should be as easy as plugging in going to the sink and turning on the water. But as you all know, you're going to build these habits into your lives. But anyone that has a house in this room realizes that that doesn't always work, right? Sometimes you blow a fuse. Sometimes you short circuit things. Sometimes you clog a toilet up, right? And that the reality is, is we have to make sure that all of that is functioning Properly in our prayer lives for things to work. So we're going to look today what that means for our lives in spiritual discipline by looking at these three things. We're going to look at number one. What is biblical prayer? Number two, how does prayer work? And as we see these three things, we're going to see that there's some attending difficulties that come with prayer. It's not always as easy as it looks. And we're going to use the Lord's Prayer, as we see in our confession, as a very healthy thing to do to help us learn about prayer. If there's anywhere or any place that we could learn about prayer, it's Jesus, right? That guy knows how to pray, if anyone knows how to pray. So we're going to look at what he says in his word this morning in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through – we'll go down to verse 13. These are the words of God. So let's give attention to them this morning with reverence and awe, as we said in the call to worship. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If we ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your holy, inspired Word this morning, we ask that we would be inspired through it, the same Holy Spirit that penned these words through prophets through the apostles those who give us the word we pray that that same holy spirit that resides within us would bear witness about these things that we would understand them that we would have a right conception that we would be shaped and renewed in our minds according to your word so we pray father as we are learning to pray sitting at your feet that you would teach us something this morning of how to pray and how to pray rightly we ask these things in the strong name of jesus and amen, amen. so Jesus knows something about prayer that we probably don't he he knows all things so if we can look anywhere in the Bible like I said we want to look at Jesus so we're going to ask this morning what is biblical prayer and if we look at the Bible we know that the Bible bears witness to who Christ is it's all about Jesus if you're reading it rightly some people search it because they think it in here they find eternal life but Jesus says that you're searching the wrong way. You need to search and realize that it bears witness about me. So Jesus is the whole point of this. So if we're going to understand biblical prayer, reading prayer through the whole lens of the Bible, we have to look through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus tells us very explicitly how to do that. He tells us right here in the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to kind of work through this quickly. I think most of you understand Basically what the Lord's prayer means. And it's it's not just these words. He does say, when you pray, say this. But he also means that we can use this as an outline. This is the way that we shape and build and wire our prayer houses through this model that he gives us. So he tells us, pray like this. He says, our Father who art in heaven. That is to say, we orient ourselves towards God as an affectionate Father. He is He's like a daddy to you. You should approach him like that, realizing that a good father is going to give you good things. That's what we see later in the text. So we orient orient ourselves towards him as an affectionate father. But then we see this thing that says, hallowed be thy name. Or we might say, holy be thy name. So yes, we might think of him like a father. But all the baggage that might come with the, the daddy problems, when you think about dads, if you have issues there, he is different than that. He is a holy God. He is set apart. He is different than all the fathers in this world. There's something that bears witness uh, with us that we understand uh, that fathers say something or that there's something in fatherhood that points to the fatherhood of God. But the reality is, is that God is unique. Yes, we are made in his image, but he is a holy God, unique from all other relationships. So we approach him with that kind of reverence and awe and holiness as a father, boldly approaching him, but with reverence and awe. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's rule, his reign, it should be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We might say in your family as it is in heaven. In this church as it is in heaven. In North City, in southern Illinois as it is in heaven. We want that kind of reality, that perfect reality, truth Mercy, justice, loving kindness, those, those attributes, those good things of God, the heavenly realm that doesn't change, that is reflective of all the good things that God is. We are to be praying for that to be here on earth. That's why we pray for our nation. right? We, we want our nation to reflect the, the justice of God. We want true justice, not justice that our, our communities define. We want justice that God defines. We want to model the things that we do here on earth after the model that we see in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, he says. Now, we understand this. right? We pray at all meals. We say, thank you, God, for the, the daily bread you've given, you've given it to us. We, we eat and we say thanks for filling up our bellies. But there's a spiritual dimension to this too, isn't there? There's, there's physical bread and there's also spiritual bread. Christ, he says, I am the bread of life. We think Jesus, that he gives us that spiritual life that always satisfied. We might not always have food on our table, but we do always have a Savior who is offering that real spiritual sustenance to us. That's why the spiritual discipline is so important, because he is our access to spiritual life. That's why he says when Jesus is praying, if we want to think of another snapshot in prayer history, when he's out in the wilderness, he has no bread, and he tells Satan, I have bread. He says, I am the bread. He says that I live on not bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus' conception of bread is way deeper than just food on the table. It's this spiritual sustenance that he gives us at any time we want, even in a desert. No matter where you're at, you have that access to God as Father, as Holy He's working all things out. So this kind of builds, and it builds an understanding of what we are to think of God and how we approach Him in prayer. And then we get to this, and I want to slow down at this point because I think this is the section that many, many people skip over when it comes to prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This isn't always easy. This is the thing that we want to skip over because we don't really care about forgiving other people many times. We are very likely... To not forgive people and hold unforgiveness in and, and still be asking for things. But it doesn't work like that. That's not the way prayer life works. That's why each and every week we don't miss the corporate confession of sin. We don't miss the individual confession of sin. Because if we do, it will clog up our prayer life. We can't make it any further. That's why I say each and every week, Psalm 66, I'll read it in its actual um, text here. I kind of give a paraphrase every week when I say this. But Psalm 66, 17 through 20 says this. It says, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Do you see the importance of confessing our sins, not holding in bitterness? It will eat you alive and it will destroy your prayer life. And you won't be able to have that easy access. That is what clogs the spiritual toilet. 1 Peter 3.7 says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This is the part I want you to catch. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Whoa. Husbands, whoa. Do you realize what Peter is saying there? If you're not dealing with the people around you in a forgiving way, in an understanding way, dealing with the baggage that comes with relationships, your prayers can be hindered. That's scary stuff. You need to take seriously the weight of sin. This is the thing that so many people want to skip over. They don't want to talk about the sin reality. They just want to talk about the good things that we get out of God. But you don't get the goodness out of God unless you have real relationship. right? The the baggage that we're talking about in other relationships is the same kind of baggage that carries over between us and God. Because he is holy, he says, I'm not going to put up with that. I don't put up with unforgiveness. I'm a forgiving God. I'm a merciful God. I'm a loving God. And if you're not going to live that way, then you're not living my way. And you don't want what I want. You want what you want. You're prideful. So we have got to be careful when we come to praying that we're giving, or, or realizing that we have this holistic view that regards ourselves and our sins and all the stuff that comes with us. We got to think rightly about how we orient ourselves to a holy God. So we don't want to short circuit our prayers. We want when we plug in ourselves to the prayer, uh, to the prayer outlet. We want that to work. But the sin is the thing that short-circuits it. That's the thing that burns your house down. That's the thing that blows the whole thing up. It's like trying to live life um, with a clogged toilet. Continue on doing the things that you do in a toilet without unclogging it. It's bad news. You don't want to do that, (laughs) right? But that's how our spiritual lives work. That Paul even talks about that it's done like the, the, the evil things there's this there's this reality like we can joke about this but the reality is it's that kind of thing only worse it's nasty it's sick and we tend to just kind of sweep it under the rug and say well I don't want to talk about sin because no one wants to talk about that it's important we have to catch that part and he says and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil in other words keep me from doing everything that I just talked about like that the whole process don't let me get there Lord, guide me. Be a a light to my path, a lamp for my feet so I can look around and see I'm, I'm walking into sin. I need to walk this way. I need to go a different way. I don't want to be tempted to do this. Deliver me from that, Lord. That's how we should be modeling our prayer lives. And then it ends... For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You'll notice that I read out of the ESV. Um, many of you probably have the King James. That's in there. Um, the King James uses some different manuscripts. So I don't want to go down that rabbit trail. But the reality is, is um, that I think that's a helpful way to pray. Whether or not it's in your uh, text or not. The newer translations, because they have different text streams, don't put that in there. But we prayed every week in the liturgy because I think it's important. Because what it does is it ends our prayers with doxology. Praise to God. Giving him glory for for all of it because he's he's the one that really does it. Prayer and the power that comes with prayer is not you working. It's God working through you. You become that conduit through which God is ruling and reigning and actually changing things here on earth as they are in heaven. You get to be a part of that. And that's the dignity that he loves us with and he cares uh, for us in that way. So now this is Jesus' prayer model. So this is just a model. You take that home. Pray how you want with that. But there's going to be some guidelines that I want to kind of go further. So Jesus says, here's this outline, but let's look at the life of Jesus also and how he prays. Because every time Jesus prays, he doesn't go say the Lord's Prayer, right? He prays other ways. He has other prayers too. But we can learn something from the way that he prays. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that that guy is praying a lot of Scripture. Now isn't this interesting? God is praying scripture. He could pray anything he wants. He could make up prayers and pray anything he wanted, but he's praying within this line of scriptures that's been handed down to him. He's a Jew and he's saying, "I'm going to pray these prayers that we've been given in scripture because I believe that it's inspired." Jesus believed that the word of God was inspired and in, uh, not just the scriptures, but especially the Psalms. Jesus is praying the Psalms like crazy. Paul is praying the Psalms like crazy. You can use the prayer or the, the Psalms as a prayer book. Because that's what the church has always done. The Jews even done that. That was their prayer book. They looked at that and they said, this is a really good way to pray. There's some really great stuff in there. And a lot of it resonates with my heart. It actually connects with what I'm feeling. And it's a great model to give over to God. Jesus is even doing this on the cross. Remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't just a, a prayer that Jesus made up on the spot. That's Psalm 22. If you go back and look, Isn't that interesting that that a lot of Jesus' language is being shaped by the Bible, and it should be the same way with us. Richard Foster says this. I, I love this, what he says about prayer. He says, in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. That's a beautiful way of putting prayer, to think God's thoughts after him. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 5 saying, You should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to the God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying your language, the way you speak to one another, and I would carry this over and say to prayer as well, should be shaped by the Bible. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This is the way that we should address one another. And we do this in the name of Jesus because that's where the power's at, right? We, we approach God in this way. And some have even said that this psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is really just three ways of saying the Psalter. Because if you look at it in the, in the Greek, I won't go into that either. But they say, if you've noticed, if you look at the book of Psalms, there's three books, right? There's book one, book two, and book three. And some people say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are just the three divisions of the psalms. So scripture should inform and transform the way that we think about our prayer life. It should propel us give us words in our mouth the things that we should say to God should be coming from this book it should be that fuel that we have that word of God that we talked about that we're tapping into through meditation that's what should be fueling us through prayer that meditation process where we're learning about God he's transforming us he's shaping us and then we offer those prayers informed by that back up to him now I'm all for praying unique heart prayers to God Right? I'm not saying you can't pray what is on your heart. That's, that's truly what the Psalms were. The, this, this one individual, mostly David, uh, expressing himself to God. But in God's wisdom and providence, he saw fit to inspire these words to become the word of God. So these are special words. These are words that God approves of. These are words that are different. These are words that God says, my stamp is approval on them. And I hear these words because they actually come through my inspiration. So when we pray the Psalms, we pray the scriptures, we learn to love the things God loves. We learn to think God's thoughts after him. We learn to shape our wills and have our wills shaped by God to get prayers that pray like Jesus. Because that's the way Jesus prays. We want to pray like that guy. He knows what he's doing. So pray scripture, pray like Jesus, and pray traditional prayers. We saw this in our confession. You might say, well, I'm a little bit leery of tradition. It's, sometimes Jesus is too. The, the reality is, is Jesus pushes back on tradition. But the reality is, is that the psalmist prayed prayers in line with traditional thinking. Our theology shapes how we think about God. So there's, there's this dynamic of you're not going to be able to escape this. You can pray prayers completely unhitched from everything, but that really doesn't even make sense. We are shaped by the cultures that we are in. And when we have a theology that we're building up, that should inform the way that we pray. It should shape us in the way that we pray about God. Now, I've often heard people say that we should actually cut out all the King James speech because it's superficial. Have you heard people say this? Like, we need to cut the these and that thou's out. Some people say this. And there's some of that that I can agree with. What they're hitting at is that's old English, and that's not how English works anymore. But the reality is is that the tradition of Scripture and the tradition of uh, theology gives us these really big, beefy words that actually mean something. There was a time in church history when people could pray words like regeneration or propitiation or atonement. These big words that a lot of people don't even know anymore, those pack a punch. Because they're God-inspired words. They're words that God has given to us in His Word, and we carry those through in our theology and the way that we pray back to God. So we, we keep these words like that because we're shaping our prayer life, our theology around the Word of God, and this is an objective thing. So what I'm getting at here is you gotta be careful because you can get in this pattern of shaping your prayer life off of a subjective thing. You see the difference? God's word isn't moving. It's not changing around all the time. There's a tradition that's given to us right here, and we need to set our feet down here and not get caught up in this relativistic culture that changes all the time. right? We need, to, we need to stay with the one stream of God's word that continues on through the church. When we hear those church fathers praying this way, you can actually learn something from them. They know how to pray because they know their Bibles. So we stay in line with those people. And lastly, I would say that we get to the desires of a heart. I don't know if you've seen the tier that I've been building here. We started with Jesus, then we went to Scripture, and then the Psalms, and then traditional prayers, and now we get to praying the desires of our heart. And I put these lastly because sometimes our hearts can deceive us. We've got to be careful. I'm, I'm not. I'm an advocate for the heart. I'm not against the heart. There's, there's great things that come from the heart, but there's a reality that sin can creep in too. So if we unhitch from all the other stuff, you can get pretty messy in your prayers. And someone might say, well... Before you had the Bible, before you had tradition, before you had all that. What was Abraham praying? was what, what were these people praying before they had the word of God? And I would say, well, they were praying their desires of their heart. And I would say, look at their lives. Do you want your life to look like that? Most of those guys, they had like 12 wives. They're killing people every time someone makes them mad. They're conking them on the head with a rock. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They didn't have the guidance that God, God's word gives us. They're doing all kinds of wacky stuff. They're not treating people with dignity. They're not loving like they should. They were misinformed people. So yes, I can say, pray your desires of your heart, but run it through this filter that I've given you so far. So yes, what do you want? Well, does this match? Uh, does this get to make it all the way through the filter where I can make it out through? Does it fit in line with the theology that the church has given us, the tradition of Scripture? Can it make it through Scripture? Can I pray this and say it's scriptural? Can I see Jesus praying this? Right? Do you see how that works? How you kind of filter it through that? When at the end of your prayer you can say, I think Jesus would pray that. That's a good prayer. You. If you're saying Jesus probably wouldn't pray for the yacht, then you might not want to pray for it. It might be a waste of time because the reality is. You can waste time praying. Remember I said last week we can waste time with meditation. If you're not thinking about it rightly, if you have all your conception messed up, you can do that same kind of thing with prayer. You can waste your time with prayer. If you're not praying biblically informed prayers, prayers that Jesus would pray. So be careful how you pray not to waste your time. You're to redeem the time. Use that time well. We want to be praying easy prayers. You plug in the outlet and it works. I don't want you to have to dig a well every time you get that access to God. I want it to be easy. And you do that through this process of learning what prayer is biblically. So we get that understanding. We understand basically the outline of prayer. I know I'm trying to hit prayer in one sermon. It's basically an impossible task. But we're going to move on now to like what or how does prayer work. We've seen biblical prayer, thousand foot sketch. I don't want to be on prayer forever. That's not what the series is about. So how does prayer work? How does it work? When we are praying, let me ask you this. When we're praying, is that... Trying to change God's mind? No. No. That's not the goal of prayer. Some people think it is, but that's that's not what's happening. When you're praying to God, God's mind isn't changed ever. That's right. Yours is. And that's one of the amazing things about prayer. Through, Through that process of prayer, you can have your mind changed, be changed through that process of prayer. Some people will say God can change his mind, but he does not. I'll tell you why. Because God's word says it does not. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. Has he said it and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? That's why we pray God's word. Because if we're praying God's word, we can say, God, your word says that you don't change your mind. Your word says that you're not a liar. You're not like men. The people I see around in my day-to-day life, they change their minds. They lie. They do all kinds of things, but you're not a man. Have you said it and you won't do it? That's the way you ought to be able to take your prayers to God and say, Lord, I'm praying what you told me to pray. We have that kind of confidence that we come into his presence like that. We don't say, I don't really know what you want because I don't really know you, but I'm kind of wanting this. Can Can I have the Porsche? No, like that's not the way you pray. That's a waste of time. But some people do that, don't they? they? No one ever tells them how to pray, so they just pray whatever they feel like. So we have to be informed in the way we pray. We have to know how prayer works. So prayer doesn't change God. It changes us, and that's a good thing. We want to be changed to be more like God. It teaches us really who God is. You ever thought about that process of praying that back-and-forth motion with God and learning about who He is this is how we learn, isn't it? When, when you meet your spouse, you don't get a manual to where someone says, read this and you can understand it all. No, you talk to them. You speak to them. You say, do you like this? No, I don't like that. Do you like this? I love that. Or yeah. would you like to do this? Maybe someday, maybe later. It's like that with God. When you come to God in prayer, it's this back and forth motion to where you can experientially learn something about God. Yes, we objectively learn through his word, but there's this experience process where you learn something about yourself and something about God through this process of back and forth prayer. It's kind of like a dance. You go back and forth and you learn something about Jesus, what he would want, what God's will is, even in your own specific life. Not just a general sense of what God likes, but what does God want for you? Because that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? You want to know what God is doing in your life, what he wants you to do tomorrow. And you can have that kind of relationship. God's not way up in the sky, super distant from us, where we have no idea what he wants, and we're way down here, and we're just supposed to figure it out on our own. That's a bad idea. You won't figure it out on your own. You need to be in connection with him. And you get that through prayer. So we we learn this through this back and forth motion. And then someone's going to ask the question. I think it's a good question. As you go back and forth, God, do you like this? Do you like that? And he says, no, when you ask for something. Have you done that? God, I want this. And experientially, you see, no. It's just a flat no. It's hurt. It hurts sometimes, doesn't it? It's kind of like a swift kick in the gut or a punch in the gut. It's like, oh man, I but I wanted that. And God says, no. So what do we do with that? God says no sometimes. Now, there's going to be people that tell you this, and I want you to just kind of Take this sermon as a theology of prayer and just realize that there's people out there that are not going to teach this. And be be careful. Be wary of these people. There's going to be people that say, well, this text says, Mason, that you're preaching here. It says right there, ask and you can have it. Doesn't it? Seek and you can find. They're going to say things like that. And I, I, want to, I want to address that. So let's go there. Let's look at this verse and verse 9 and 10 and see what it says. This whole thing is about prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, so we should learn something from this. What does God's Word say in Luke 11, verse 9 and 10? It says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? And there's going to be pastors that bang on the pulpit and say, but it says everyone who asks. It says they will receive. Ask and you will find. And they're going to put all this emphasis on there, but they're not going to realize that you can't just cherry pick verses of the Bible and build your theology around it. There's a whole Bible here. The Bible says other things about prayer too. you know what it says? It says in James 4, 3 through 4, it says this, Ask, or you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. you got to read the whole Bible. you got to read all of it. you got to take the whole context there. Because if you're cherry-picking these verses, you're going to build this bad theology that says you can have health, wealth, prosperity, whatever you want, and God will just give it to you. And if you don't, well, that's your problem. You have a faith problem. You're just not praying hard enough. That's not true. That's not true. Sometimes God says no. And I want you to hear that, church. There's going to be someone says, well, but what about that last part about the, the bread and the, the serpent and the, all that stuff? He says, wouldn't a good father give me what I want? Well, let's let's look at that. Verse 11. Verse 11 through 13 says this. What father among you, if a son asked for a fish, one well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Weird things, but... That's what it says. If you ask for an egg, give him a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now let me tell you how many, many people will read that verse. And I've even done this. I've been guilty of it myself. I'll just use this as an open time of confession to say, I've prayed this verse wrongly before. I've changed the words in it. And a lot of people change the words in it. Do you want to know how they pray this? They'll say it like this. See if you can catch it. They'll say, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts Give good gifts to those who ask of him? Did you catch what I changed? It doesn't say give good gifts. It says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? That's a different thing, right? That's a different thing because we have a conception of what a good gift might be, an egg. And God essentially says, instead of the egg, I'm going to give you actually the holy spirit i'm not always going to give you exactly what you want but i'm going to give you what is good truly good that transcends your understanding of good why because it's the ultimate good gift because god doesn't let us get hung up on ourselves because he's gracious he gives us more than we could even ask we don't we don't realize it at the time because we're like children we we just want what we want but god's like actually if you hold off i got something better for you I've got a good plan. I've got something working, or I've got something in the works for you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He does a lot of things. The Holy Spirit, He's your guide. Yes. He's the one that indwells you. He's the one that actually makes all this prayer stuff work. He's the He's your your general contractor that keeps all the house running. He keeps everything functioning as it does. Romans eight says it this way. It says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness." You're weak. Do you realize that? I'm weak. <laughs> We're weak. says, it helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? According to the will of God. You've been given a really, really good gift, church, if you believe in Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit that's actually going to transcend your prayers that are kind of like children's prayers. And he's going to give you really good, BV prayers that the Father hears. Because the Spirit and God the Father are one. They are one God, three persons. And they know exactly what the other is thinking. They discern the, the thoughts and the minds of our heart. And they're able to take that and say, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to work this out for you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's good news because we start to learn through this process. We don't, we don't just get these prayers that we loft up to him and he figures it out. We start to learn something from this and actually be changed like the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? The, we don't just have this Holy Spirit that translates our prayers and we never really see how that all works out. We actually do get to see how it works out. We see that as we pray, we get an answer that's no sometimes and we get something better. And we see, oh, the Holy Spirit was doing something there. I learn more about God. I learn more about the Holy Spirit through the way that I pray like that. So our, the hope in this passage is that God is working all things together for the good, the ultimate good. Because that's what it really comes down to. With God's yeah. will and His purpose and His plan, He's working all things according to the good of those who love Him. So if Amen. you love God, He's working it out for you. Yes. He's got your good purposes in mind. But sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? It's hard to pray like Paul. Paul prays in Philippians this. He says, That I might know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's a hard prayer to pray, but it's a good prayer. Isn't it? If we're being like Christ, even if it means like him in his sufferings. Mm-hmm. In other words, it takes a spirit-empowered prayer life to see that God may be weaving in, even suffering into the plan. Because he really is working all things together for our good. We wouldn't want the suffering. We would say, nope, I won't have it because I don't want to go through that. But the reality is, is God says, actually, that's going to be part of the process. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the clay, on the potter, and sometimes it takes a little bit of cutting this edge off. Yeah. C.S. Lewis said it funny one, one day. He said, uh, when it comes to God and understanding who God is and his good purposes for us, obviously the people that say, well, don't worry about it because Romans 8.28 says God works all things out for good. Obviously they would never been to the dentist. <laughs> and, and, and the point he's saying there is well, we, we, we don't want to go to the dentist. He's a little bit scary to us. But at the end of the day, we know that, his good is the, or that our good is his intention. That's the same it with is. the doctor. We go there, and yeah, it might hurt to get that tooth ripped out, but it's rotten. You don't want it anyway in the long run. But and that's the part of the process. You get these bad things cut out. God changes us and he shapes us to be a better person. That's what it means to come to God in prayer. Now, I say all that. Is this easy? Absolutely not. This is actually really, really hard. I, I might make it sound easy as plugging something into the wall. I think it can sometimes be like that, but the reality is is it gets hard to be told no sometimes. Consider this snapshot in the life of Jesus. Remember, we're, we're kind of thinking about Jesus and the way he prays. Think of Jesus when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a hard moment to pray, wasn't it? Yes. He's dropping sweat that's like blood. Amen. That was, that was a hard moment when Jesus knocked, he was seeking, and he was told no. The Father told Jesus, the Son, no. He said, if you will, remove this cup from me. And God said no. And that cup was the cup of suffering. Mm -hmm. And what it was for was for you. Isn't that the amazing thing? That greater good, that was for your salvation. But Jesus was ready to pray that prayer. Because Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to pray according to the will of God. Because he says, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Jesus was able to swallow that no so that you could be able to be told yes by God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That Jesus went through that kind of torture through prayer. So it was hard for Jesus. Now let me ask this. Is it hard for you too? Yeah. That, That same snapshot. Let's... Pull it back a little bit. Before Jesus got to that really hard prayer, think of what was going on with Jesus before he got to the garden with his disciples. Remember, before he was there, he brought his disciples with him and they're kind of staying off in a distance. And before he leaves, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You know what he says? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen the brothers. And what does Peter do? He says, oh, thank you, God. No, he says, I deny that. That's not going to happen. Nope, I got it. Don't worry about it. What happens? It happens. (laughs) It happens, right? Jesus goes away. He says, stay here, guys. I need you to pray. I'm going to go over here for a minute. Just, Just stay, watch, and pray. That's all I need you to do. And what happens? Sleep. They sleep. They just fall asleep. Peter falls asleep, and this happens three times. Jesus comes back. He's like, what are you doing? You're, you're falling asleep. I'm over here sweating great drops of blood, and you're falling asleep. The, he, says, uh, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. That's what he tells Peter. So Then Peter falls asleep, and he does this three times. And then you know the rest of the story. Later on that night, what did he do again three times? Denial. He denied he even knew him three times. Is walking with Jesus easy? Is praying prayer easy. No, there's going to be moments when it's really, really hard. We have to realize that indeed the flesh is weak. We are weak. We need help and prayer is hard. And whether you realize it or not, you're probably going to walk in the footsteps of Peter after hearing a sermon like this. I'm going to preach. I'm going to give you biblical prayer, what it looks like and all this. And you're going to say, I took notes. I've got it all. You're going to walk out the door and then Monday's going to hit and it's going to get real hard life is hard it hits you say well i'm going to stamp tonight i'm going to pray before i go to bed I'm probably going to fall asleep it happens you you say well i'm going to i'm going to implement prayer better in my life i'm going to start praying for people when when i hear that they're hurting and they're sick i'm going to be that christian that says i'm going to pray for you and then i'd pray and you probably don't you'll in some sense kind of deny that you would even do that that you are like peter right you have that op, that moment of opportunity and you say i don't even know him basically you say i'll pray for you but you don't really You say you might, but it's kind of a superficial way of kind of just getting on to the next moment. So, like Peter, though, we realize through that experience our dependence on God, which drives us even more to prayer, doesn't it? Yeah. So, catch what he says when Jesus says to Peter. He says, when you have turned again, strengthen the brothers. Jesus was able to see a little bit further out than Peter was. He saw that it's going to be hard. You're going to deny me. But when you've turned I want you to go out and strengthen the brothers. What happened? Peter went out. He denied God. And it took failure and hardship for Peter to remember and realize the importance of prayer. It says he wept. He wept bitterly. He had remorse for his sin. He confessed his sins. He felt bad about it. He denied Christ. But later, remember the conduit through which the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Who was that? Who preached that sermon? Who did the Holy Spirit use to flood the Holy Spirit... And we have talking about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come as the better gift. Who did God use to bring that? He used Peter. When you have turned, go strengthen the brothers, he tells Peter. And God tells you that, church, this morning, if you get anything from this sermon, get that Jesus' prayers are answered. And when he says to Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you, he says the same to you. Jesus has prayed for you. His prayers are answered. And He gives you a better gift than you could ask for. When we come to Him, we come to Him as a good Father. A Father that wouldn't just give us what we want. He'll give us something better. He'll give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That empowers our prayer life. To propel us forward. To have the right kind of relationship with God and others. That we might strengthen the brothers. we might be a source of encouragement through our prayer. Your brother or sister is hurting or sick or weak. What are you going to do? You're going to strengthen them through prayer. You're going to lift them up in prayer. You're going to be there for them. You're going to be the kind of Christian, the kind of person that God has called you to be. That's what it means to pray like Jesus. That's what it means to look at God's Word, to see biblical prayer. It means to be that kind of person, a spirit-empowered Christian being propelled to do what God wants, His good will. That's how we live according to His will. Seems simple. It's going to be hard. You're You're going to have to press in. On Monday, go to the Holy Spirit. Go to Him in prayer. Let's do that now. Let's go to him in prayer.